What was that? <laughs> and that in the Bible, Cain and Abel. Yeah, I'm familiar with them. Uh, it's a buddy. It's a buddy cop movie. Jaw. Didn't he use a donkey jaw to slay? Didn't Cain with a donkey Abel jaw? With a donkey jaw? No, that's not in the movie. Forty-eight hours. It's based on Cain and Abel, right? Is it? I think so. How? I mean, I didn't but who, read the Bible, but I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. I didn't read the Robert Crumb version either of the Bible. Yeah, he did oh. a whole uh, book of Genesis. Nice. Yeah, it's one of those where, and when he finished, he said, "Yeah, I really probably shouldn't have spent so much time on this." You know, <laughs> we, it wasn't fun at all. We should probably start the show, but first, of course, let's have some beer. Push play on your recorders because it's time for another scintillating episode of Digital Noise right here on oneofus.net. This is, of course, our weekly Blu-ray and DVD review show that has lasers for eyes, but not lasers for discs, which is very unfortunate. I am your host, Brian Salisbury, and joining me once again, the the Eddie Murphy to my Nick Nolte, the, the Gregory Hines to my Billy Crystal, the freebie to my bean, Mr. Johnny Neal. Uh, hello. How are you, sir? I'm feeling very black. Yeah, right now. I don't know yeah. why I made you pretty not, much all the black Not just guys. my heart, either. I, I made... usually have a, a pimp's heart of blackness, <laughs> but suddenly I'm feeling complexion. Why aren't we talking about Superfly just all the time? Or, your, by the way, I have to mention this, guys. Johnny Neal has an awesome collection of novelizations of Shaft. Well, Shaft started as a novel. See, I didn't by know Ernest that. By Ernest Tidyman, the See, guy I, that wrote... I didn't even know that. He wrote The French Connection. He wrote a, he wrote a lot of, of crime books. Uh-huh. So he wrote... And he was a white guy, and he wrote Shaft about a Vietnam vet who started a, a police detective business. Or, a, not a police detective, but a private eye business in New York. He's, he's a black private dick who's a sex machine to all the chicks. Shut your mouth. I'm just talking about Shaft. Yeah, we can dig it. Cool. Yeah. Well, But this- he, uh, the book was very, pretty much straight adapted to the movie, to the original huh. movie. But then... Though the movie went in different directions. Well, they did do Shaft's big score. Other people started writing Shaft books. But yeah, I do. I have my favorite. I have Shaft has a ball in paperback. (laughs) But my favorite, my favorite is Shaft among the Jews. You showed me that. Yeah. And I didn't, because you told me about it and I didn't believe it was real. It's real, baby. I thought you were playing a joke on me, which is funny because today is actually April Fool's Day. But none of the things that Johnny Neal is saying are jokes. I don't joke about Shaft. We can, we, can dig we can dig it. We can dig it. All right. Well, of course, I want to remind you guys that this show, just like all of our content, is available on iTunes as well as on Stitcher. You can also follow us on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast. That's D-I-G-I NoiseCast. And you can like the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash oneofusnet. I also want to remind you guys that if you haven't checked out audible.com, this episode of Digital Noise is brought to you by audible.com. And right at the bottom of the page, if you haven't done so already, we actually have a link where you can go and download yourself a free audiobook courtesy of Audible. So take advantage of that because it also benefits the site and we really do appreciate that. And if you haven't already become a subscriber, now would be a great time to do so. We got a lot of great stuff coming down the pike for all of our subscribers at various levels. There's definitely going to be a Deep Blue Sea commentary coming out soon because, oh my God, Deep Blue Sea is on Netflix and I have so much to say about that movie. So we will definitely be doing that. So keep your eyes open and definitely become a subscriber. That's how we keep the lights on here. We really, really do appreciate that. Well, we don't have a lot to cover today, but it's going to... 
I, I imagine, I would hazard that there are going to be some interesting conversations going on today. But first, of course, it's time to reach out to the Innisfere and receive transmissions from you, the listener. It's the part of the show where we crack open the most questionable of coffers we call... The Thank you so much, Torgo. Jo- Johnny Neal is, is sitting where you usually sit, but I'm sure you can find a different pile of dirty laundry. Yeah, yeah. Losers, weepers. <laughs> Indeed. So our first question comes from Bradley Martin, who asks, what's your favorite Hollywood urban legend? You know, like, there's a newsy ghost in Three Men and a Baby. First of all, I didn't know, was it supposed, I don't think it was supposed to be a newsy I never, ghost. I never heard that it was newsy. Well, he also calls it Three Men and a Little Baby. And so a Little Baby, I think, yeah, I think it's a different a, movie. That's a whole different, that's the trauma version, I think. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> the ghost of Lloyd Kaufman's legitimacy oh. in the background. Oh, hey Um I don't know, I guess my favorite has always been, it's been completely debunked, but the... The suicidal munchkin in The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. It that's turns out, one. did you ever hear the story about what it actually was? No. It's an ostrich. Well, apparently that's, they were that's even weirder of a, a, of a, a thing i know that that is apparently this is the story i heard if i'm wrong so is the internet which could happen. i would say if you were a munchkin and you had an ostrich near you you were suicidal because an ostrich <laughs> pecking through your little budget head would or hurt. just in a jodorowsky movie yeah well there's that in but. in center frame of a white room stands a munchkin and an ostrich what does this mean uh christianity charged. is destroying america that's no. what that means anyway I, I thought it would be erotic it's a little erotic. But yeah, apparently what happened was they were shooting a jungle movie, you know, on the big back lot uh, at the same time. And for some reason, they had an ostrich in a jungle movie. I don't know. Uh, but the ostrich wandered onto set and was hanging out in the background. And what it does is it's standing in the background and it kind of like opens its wings up. And for some reason, the way it was standing behind the trees and the light, it looks like somebody's legs dangling. And they were always like, that's a munchkin that killed himself. And it's like... They weren't even on set when they filmed that, Man. so no, I don't. I think wonder so. if that had anything to do with the Pink Floyd album. Maybe that yeah. could be. Well, what's what's your favorite Hollywood myth? Mine is in the music industry. Ooh, I uh, like this. I like when you go off off on a tangent. In the original, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers did it later, but the original Ohio Players did uh, did Roller Coaster. Yeah, totally. uh, a great, great song and a great band. Really hot album covers. And there's a scream in the of a, a woman screaming, and uh, we all spread around. Everybody, it was you know, urban legends. You don't know where they come from, but there was a scream, and the rumor was that a girl was being murdered by a coked up record producer in the next studio over. And that that song was actually going to be used as evidence in his murder trial. No shit. Yeah. See, I never heard any further than it was a real scream. I don't know about the rest of it. It was just a real <laughs> scream that somebody was being murdered. I, I'm elaborating on the uh, evidentiary hearing. See, but I believed you. I, well, see, that's how urban legends... Okay, disregard that last part. Wow. No, we're, we're leaving it. We're going to spread that around like it's, yeah. it's the real story. I would hope that uh, justice has been served by now. Agreed. Our next question comes from Jared Tatum, who asks, oh, by the way, if you weren't aware of this, over the weekend, or uh, actually yesterday, we lost a giant of the film industry, and specifically, we lost a giant face in the film industry. Mr. Robert Zadar stars of such films as Hell Comes to Frogtown 2, Maniac and Cop, Maniac Cop 1, 2, 3, and Soul Taker, and, you know, a lot of just, he was a B-movie legend, an icon that you couldn't miss from a mile away, passed away, 
And uh, Jared Tatum asks, what's your favorite Robert Zadar film? Uh, Johnny, you're not terribly familiar with the guy, but I am an enormous fan of the Maniac Cop movies. I think the first two are legit good. Like, they're not just, like, cheesy and you like them despite Right. Them. They are legit good, especially the second one. Yeah, I know the first one was, uh, it, it, it was a genuine movie. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, it, a, it was a trashy movie, but it wasn't a spoofy trashy movie. That's, ex- that's a great way to yeah. put it. It was a trashy movie, but it was done well. And I like trashy movies. Yeah, who doesn't? Uh, you know, you got Bruce Campbell in there, you got Tom Atkins in there, yeah. you got Robert Zadar playing, uh, a Maniac uh, Cop. Playing the Maniac Cop himself. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just in the cat, like William Smith is in the movie. Richard Roundtree is oh. in the movie. Like it's got an amazing, that first movie has an amazing God, cat. It's been so long since I saw that. Great, great soundtrack. The score is just like, do, 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 do. It's just like this weird whistly little theme that runs throughout the whole movie. Very unsettling. Directed by a guy named William Lustig, who also directed Maniac Cop, or I'm sorry, Maniac uh, which is one of the seminal weird slasher horror films yeah. of the 80s. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the yeah, uh, Maniac Cop films, the first one is really cool in its concept, and it's a lot of fun in its execution. The second one is just down and dirty and has some of the greatest stunts I have ever seen in a film. There's a scene in the second one where a guy is set on fire yeah, and runs out of a window and falls for what has to be three stories into a bus that then explodes. And then there's another guy earlier in the film who gets thrown out of a window, bounces, uh, like falls two stories, bounces off the top of a car, lands on the ground, starts to get up, and Robert Davi shoots him. So it's like bing, boom, bam, bang. It's in, in one fluid motion. That's, that's like Angry Birds. Yes, exactly. It was very much like Angry Birds. <laughs> Angry also, Maniac Cop Birds. I maintain that Maniac Cop 2 has the best uh, police station assault this side of Terminator. It's absolutely fantastic. Wow. So yeah, it's it was a it's a franchise like even the third one, which is really really dumb, still has like uh, Jackie Earl Haley as he's trying to make it as an adult actor, and like all of these interesting like uh, Robert Forrester shows up in the third one. There's there's just a lot to love about this franchise, and I have actually seen a couple of his really terrible movies too, thanks to Mystery Science Theater, right? Like Soul Taker, for example, where he's he's blonde, which is a terrible idea for a guy with a face like that. It really brings out the jaw. It really does. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who a lot of people are going, I don't know who that is, and I understand, but for me, he's somebody that I actually wish I could have met, and unfortunately now I will not get that chance, so, um, yeah, I'm gonna pour out a little coffee and drop a donut on the floor and then stab it to death in honor of Maniac Cop and Mr. Robert Zadar. I'm gonna make out with a catcher's mitt. (laughs) (laughs) Which would also be an acceptable tribute to Robert Zadar, as it turns out. Well, that's going to do it for the questions, guys. Thank you so much for sending those. We're going to move on to your favorite part of the show and mine, and that is the reviews. Get ready. Get ready. I hope you have your notebooks out. And our first stop is we're headed into the woods. Into the woods. Into the woods. Oh, my God. This was a good How many times do they say that in this movie? Probably a thousand. (laughs) That opening song goes on for 20 minutes. Into the woods. I have to go. Well, I wish you fucking would. (laughs) Because I've been here for three hours. The whole town knows that song. (laughs) They're not worried about the plague or the wolves or the giants. They're all all just into the woods. Into the woods. Look, if you live under the threat of the invasion of a giant from on high, why wouldn't you distract yourself by learning very technical choreography and, and lyrics? But they didn't know that. 
But they, they were they're doing it. The whole opening in the movie is just like, everyone's dancing. And, well, it's a musical, so I get it. Right. But it's just like, I guess if I lived in that town, that's what I'd be doing, too. Okay, I want to ask you something. I want to ask me something. Okay. This is nothing because, just, I'm going to get out of the way. I really like this movie a lot. Okay. Um, but this is something that I wonder. Why don't they, when they decide to make some crazy musical, not like Chicago, which is pretty earth-based, but something fantastic, why don't they just give that to Pixar? You know, and make hmm. an animated version. That's of an it. interesting idea. Because all the Pixar and DreamWorks musicals are new. Why don't mm. they just do an animated version of a Broadway musical? Well, because that's not rehashy enough, which is Disney's big thing right now, is they want everything to feel. Pretty, yeah, but, like, but, but Into the Woods was a, a, a very well known Broadway musical. I know. It's a Sondheim musical. I know, but it also gives them a chance to rehash all the fairy tales that they've been bastardizing their entire career. You know what I mean? But like, they'd still be doing that. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, okay, so here's. I am very medium on this movie. I think it's fine. Um, I actually do like the musical a lot because the musical lends a lot of interesting new context to these very sort of draconian. Um, you know, cautionary tales masquerading as, as fairy tales. Uh, and, and that's what I really liked about the show. But for some reason, watching the movie, I was just, I was very aware that I was watching, I don't, not a watered down necessarily, but just, it just felt forced, I guess. Like, that being said, Glenn Close as the witch, brilliant piece of casting. She was Mrs. Beetlejuice. Yes. For half of it. And I was like, oh, look at her being all Michael Keaton up in the tree. That's, and, and who ends up winning? Best actor was it? Wasn't Michael Keaton? Eddie Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne. Uh, but and and you know what? As much as I wish Michael Keaton would have won it, to be honest, Jake Gyllenhaal deserved it more. Oh my God, he was so, so good. You know, so really good and truly. So yeah. But uh, that that stupid Stephen Hawking movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out there. Johnny Neal's new book, The Theory of Everything, <laughs> sucks. It does. No, no, no. It's just the the book is called The Theory, the theory of Everything, Everything Sucks. Sucks. Yeah, that's, there you go. That's going to be a musical, too. <laughs> yeah. Everything sucks. That's Everything sucks. Theory. Everything sucks. Everything I'm sucks. I'm going to prove it. Yeah. With the chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I like the idea. I like the story. And I thought there were a few parts about this that executed it very well. And the rest of the movie just feels really hollow to me. Well, I got to tell you, I absolutely loved... Music. Good. Tell uh, me more. Well, there is one. Uh, okay, Johnny Depp is in it. He has just an extended cameo, basically, for one musical number. He plays the big bad wolf. And he plays him as a zoot suit hipster, which Johnny Depp. <laughs> I think he just had that costume in his closet, and that's why they gave him the part. He big just, bad voodoo wolf. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Big bad. I mean, he's very much like uh, from the from the cartoons with the wolf, you know, whistling and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, the but, Tex Avery cartoon? Yeah, the Tex mean? Avery yeah. cartoon. He's very much that nice, guy. And nice. I mean, it was like he, he got famous just so that he could play that kind of part. He got famous so he could wear more funny hats. And thankfully, in Into the Woods, he gets a funny he, hat. He gets to do it. He's he, playing a wolf and has a funny hat. Explain that one to me. Well, he's a bad wolf. Oh, and hats equal bad. Same letters. In the Austin Hipster scene. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Have you seen the terrible leather fedoras that are going around now? Oh, yeah. I'm just saying. If you're not Martin Thomas, don't wear a leather fedora. Exactly. That's his thing. That's his thing. Back off, hipsters. He he was doing it before it was cool, and he's not a hipster, even though I said before it was cool. Anyway, so Into the Woods. So, Into the Woods, there's a great scene. That's To me, it's my favorite scene, is uh, Little Red Riding Hood is uh, skipping through the woods, singing about going to Granny's. The Big Bad Wolf starts singing, and uh, I'm trying to... Pull up the lyrics here, but I'm having a hard time with that. But his lyrics are so pedophilic. 
pedophilic. Yes. I my wife had seen a, a theatrical version of this, and I said to her, "So is Little Red Riding Hood a kind of a hot chick in the in the play?" And she said, "No, no, it's still a, a young girl." And uh, because not only is he kind of rapey, but kind of then uh, her part is like he taught me so many things. He yeah, showed me so many things. Yes, and it was like holy shit, this is like a Valentine to a whore. Weird <laughs> is different than good, is what I would say in response to I, that. I liked it a lot. I thought uh, so, and I thought he was great in that, and I loved that it was a relatively small part. Um, I really kind of felt like Emily Blunt was kind of wasted in the in the movie. Because I would agree with that. She's so great. Um, James Corden, whatever he was, everybody was good. Let me just say that. Uh, the funny thing, Chris Pine finally does William Shatner. He plays. That's true. He plays the prince as if William Shatner was doing See, that part. That's what I really like about the story is that you have this weird uh, setting where all of these fairy tales take place in the same universe. Kind of basically the Avengers of. Oh, that's a good call. Of Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah. Um. So they're all. But the thing is, as soon as they all like meet each other, is when their worlds start to unravel. Like my favorite thing is that Cinderella in this movie. She goes to the ball, and then she's running, not because it's almost midnight, but she can't decide if she wants to be in a committed she's relationship. She's just not that into him. She's not that into him, and it's such a... And it, you know what really pissed me off is that's a much more interesting, independent, uh, strong-willed Cinderella than the, like, completely ineffectual waif that we got in the Disney revamp of Cinderella that just came out. I'm like, I'm like, Disney, you literally just gave us a Cinderella who was like you know, fiercely an individual and like we could respect. And then you give us a girl who literally in one scene cries over here, gets up, like takes a moment to compose herself and then runs over here to cry. That's literally a scene in the new Cinderella. It's like, I am done crying here. I am going to go cry over there. This floor is all slippery. Exactly. And so the moments like the two, the two princes and not the spin doctor song, uh, where these two princes, uh, Cinderella. That's right. That's right. Brian knows all of the spin doctors catalog. I am Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, I'll tell you that much. Uh, no notes in front of me about Spin Doctors, folks. None. I'm just that lame. I am just that lame. So Rapunzel's Prince and Cinderella's Prince are, uh, I think, is it Cinderella's? Yeah, because Chris Pine is is uh, Cinderella's Prince. Yeah, and then Rapunzel's Prince is a guy I didn't know who he was. And they have a great song about Agony! How- Agony! Which is it's such one a fun of the best. Song. It is really a great song. And then they're like, competing. Yeah, they're, they're sniping two at each other. Princes comparing who is suffering the most from their unrequited love. Agony is so much more painful than yours. <laughs> and one of them, uh, Chris Pine, rips his shirt open, so the other one does too. Like, uh, uh, and that was just great. That yeah, was- the machismo, and that's. I mean, it work. I mean, like I said, there are moments in this movie that work, but overall, it just feels really. Eh, Well, I got to tell you, to me, it just didn't stick the landing. Once the wedding happens and you're and they're going, well, it could be happy, happily ever after. And it's like, okay, well, that's good enough. That's a happy ending for a musical. But instead, then Jack goes up and and brings down or he kills the giant and then blah, blah, blah. The whole last act doesn't have any music. in it. Oh, it's a it's a four act movie. I should we should preface this by saying don't uh, sit down and watch this if you don't have a lot of time to spare because this thing has four acts. The movie's over. The story is over. And then it's like, 
And this, I guess. And you know, it's not like pornography where the fourth act in a movie, like the ones where a chick is on her journey, you know what I mean? Like VHS tapes were whoa. really good for that. Wait, wait, whoa, but, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, the, the, By the time you get to the fourth act in a porn movie, you're pretty much seeing the first act over again, right? I mean, they're not going to get a whole lot better. Are, are you throwing out, are you throwing salt on the narrative construction of porn? Because that's a bold stance to take, sir. Well... I've seen a lot of porn. No, I, I mean, I have, I have too. I just, and I've thrown some salt on it. Hey, oh, <laughs> so jacking uh, off jokes do, 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 because we're super high class and this show is on top. <laughs> we're not on cable. <laughs> we're not we're on, on cable. Internet. We can say what we want. Fuck the FCC. Yeah. But don't tell them I said that. So this is the deal. The last act is all talk. And people are just dying left and right with no ceremony. They just disappear. They just like... Uh, like they're in a Monty Python sketch. Just, it's, yeah, they're like the drummers from Spinal Tap. Replete just, with a giant foot that comes out of the clouds. Yes, Oh exactly. my God, it is a Monty Python sketch. Yeah, it was like, what? And then the final song where they talk about... Oh, spoiler. Where they talk about, okay, I'm going to tell the stories. And they make a makeshift family. And it was just kind of like, yeah. Lame. Yeah, but fuck your family. Yeah, I mean, but the first, because the songs are the strong part, not just how well done they are, but how well they're written. The The message of the songs is really great. Um, you know, it's funny, I never knew Anna Kendrick could sing before uh, Pitch Perfect. I right. always thought she was just a goofy little cute chick, no, and I loved her. She's you know, voice, I thought man. she was great. Then it turns out she's this amazing singer. Indeed. Indeed. And um, so I recommend it. Uh, I really do. I recommend it a lot. I don't think it was the best movie of the year, but I definitely think it's worth watching if you like musicals, and I do. Um, I think the reason I brought up the Pixar notion is the most recent musical I had watched was Les Mis, mm -hmm. and that was legendary for having been recorded live. And so there was a real sense of accomplishment to that movie, the way that it was filmed and recorded live. And this one just felt like lip syncing. See, that's funny because I didn't like Les Mis either. Because specifically, I thought they focused so much on patting themselves on the back for that. I was like, yeah, but I'm not feeling it. Like, nothing in this movie. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just I don't like musicals as much maybe as I used to. Maybe. I'm starting to see a pattern. I'm just saying. I'm the just saying. Bad pattern. This, <laughs> this Blu-ray uh, comes with a few special features. One of them is a never-before-seen song called She'll Be Back that Meryl Streep performs. Uh, there is a bunch of EPK stuff. There's a filmmaker commentary. There's a, uh, a version of the film you can watch where you can jump directly to your favorite song and so on and so forth. So Johnny Neal recommends Into the Woods. Me, meh. And we're moving on to a film that Johnny Neal didn't even have to sit through. <laughs> which one? Unbroken. Unbroken. Which I is, did not watch it. I believe the sophomore directing effort from Angelina Jolie and look... Angelina Jolie, I respect you for a lot of reasons. Your skills as a director ain't one of them. Uh, I'm sorry, she's just not good at it at all. Uh, but this is uh, this is a, a biography or a biography, a biopic about Louis Zamperini, who was a, a U.S. Olympian and was also a prisoner of war, a Japanese prisoner of war during World War II. Um, so the the basic gist of the movie is that he was a, he was an athlete. He decides to join the this service, uh, his plane gets shot down. They, he and a couple of his friends survive on a life raft. They're out there for, I think, something ridiculous, like 47 days. Yeah, it's 47 days. 
and they get all of a sudden a ship. Oh my gosh, they've been picked up. They've been rescued. Oh, it's a Japanese battleship. Uh, womp, womp. Womp, womp. So they get put into a Japanese prison camp, and the movie becomes about all of the struggles for him to really keep his spirit and keep the other guy's morale up, even as he's being brutally tortured. Here's the problem with what I just said. The treatment, the mistreatment, at least depicted in this movie, it's not that bad. I'm sorry. They, like, make him stand there and hold a... They make him hold a log. Well, it's a big log. Okay. And I I understand how that can be tiring and probably physically exhausting, but it's like, they they didn't make him do it for weeks, you know what I mean? Like, on the other side of the world... People were being slaughtered in gas chambers by the dozen. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. this is the guy they're heroicizing. Like, I, you know what? He was so brave that he he raced the uh, the prison. Uh, the 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 guy who was like the head of the prison was also a, a track star. So he would he would force him to race him, and one day he won. And I'm like, who fucking cares? That's yeah, not that's... like as heroic as you think it is. And what's really disappointing to me is that the things that are told to us about Louis Zamperini at the end of the movie, in text, to me, is so much more fascinating than what they showed us. Apparently, he went back to Japan after the war was over and forgave all of his captors and, like, did all of this humanitarian work and uh, ran with the Olympic torch relay for uh, the Nagano Olympics in Japan, like... That's a lot more than Wolverine did. Yeah, and I'm like, that's a way more interesting story. Why are you wasting our time trying to convince us that these... And again, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying prisoners of war are not people to be heroicized and respected. I'm just saying the gravitas that they give these moments, it's not there. You can try forcing it all you want, but it's not there. I'm kind of burned out on Brokaw porn, as I call it. Brokaw porn. Yeah, Mr. Greatest Generation. You uh, are the greatest oh, generation. the greatest generation. Oh. Well, you know what? Uh, let the, that generation tell their own story. You know, uh, Clearly we need to. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I can't see a, a 40-year-old woman telling the story with the right kind of emphasis on what it, what it would have felt like. Especially Hollywood royalty. Uh, you know, wasn't even born then. I just, I have a problem with that. Um, it just feels exploitive. And the, the movie looked like a devil's candy, big money movie, Oscar bait, want to be taken seriously. Yeah. And I'm thinking, Angelina Jolie, why don't you just make a movie about growing up really wealthy being, with a weird Being dad? John Voight's daughter. Yeah, yeah I want to see I that mean, movie. You want to make a biopic, make that one. Yeah, or how about a cancer survivor? Or Oh my god, her her story about uh her how much she was at risk for cancer and opting to have a mastectomy instead of like just like it this is a really brave she's an actress and she's opting for that procedure. Like that's really brave. And 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 frankly, like there's a scene in this movie by the way, it's at the end and this is a spoiler, I guess. So spoiler alert. We won the war. We won we win the war. And there's a scene toward the end of the movie where the guys in the camp, we're all talking about how if the Americans win the war, it's going to be really bad for them because they know how the Japanese are. They're just going to slaughter all of them and move on. Like, no witnesses, basically. Um, so they hear that the like they hear the American planes and they realize that the, they're going to be liberated. And then all of a sudden, the Japanese march them out to this uh, to basically the, the edge of the ocean. And they aim guns down at them. And they're like, this is it. And then American plane flies overhead. Doesn't bomb anything, just flies overhead. And they're like, oh shit, they've seen us. We can't do it. Two things. Two things. Who did they think the Americans were going to think killed all those people if they hadn't seen them? It's like, oh no, a mass suicide. Like, 
That does. I don't understand how that's lemmings. a turret. Ah, the Lemmings Battalion. They ran to the ocean. And secondly, from that height, I'm like, who could have possibly fucking seen you from that plane? It doesn't make any sense why it stops them. So there's story elements that don't quite make sense. The way it's structured is really awkward. The only thing that's really solid about this movie is the cinematography. Yeah. Because somehow Angelina Jolie got Roger Deakins to shoot this. So it looks great. But overall, it's just... It tries to assign so much gravitas to something that is kind of a minor footnote for a footnote. reason. You know, yeah. it's, there's a reason you haven't heard of this story. It's because it's not that interesting. And I think it's a lot like with American Sniper. I think there's a lot more heroism in what we weren't shown than what we were shown. And I, it's odd to me that they chose not to focus on the things that, whether you are uh, liberal, conservative, whatever, whatever your political affiliation, that we can all agree is like a a significant contribution to the history of the world or at least to, you know, the betterment of mankind. And instead we focus on this chest beating jingoism that results in movies like this, where the littlest thing, because it's an American in a prison camp is touted to be an act of heroism. I'm like, I don't get that. Well, from this. And I think that's really odd that that would be the story that Angelina Jolie would, would tell being as right. active as she is with, you know, UNICEF and adopting kids and all that. You would think, that recovery and post-trauma and, and, you know, moving on with your life would be the focus in her story instead of the trauma itself. Uh, that just seems odd. But I didn't see it, and I'm probably not going to. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, Unbroken, Brian does not recommend. Well, moving on from there, we're going to talk about a movie that Johnny Neal saw that I unfortunately did not, and that is Song One. Song one, I actually liked it quite a bit. Oh, it's uh, Anne Hathaway and Johnny Flynn, who is an Irish guy who's a real singer. This is a, a little a little daddy o story from uh, from Brooklyn, where uh, the guy that played uh, Nucky's nephew on Boardwalk Empire, Ben Rosenfield, Ben Rosenfield, um, is a subway singer. And he walks out in front of a taxi. So he sings to you as he makes your sandwich. Yes. Okay, He's a cool. subway artist. Got it. And he uh, he walks out in front of a taxi with his headphones on. Not a good idea to wear your not, headphones. Not so smart. Yeah. And uh, he gets hit by a cab and he's in a coma. So Anne Hathaway is like interviewing some women in the jungle or something. She's trying to get her PhD. Oh, okay. In, I was in, like, how does this relate to what you anthropology. She comes back. Mary Steenburgen is the mother. Um... She's going through the guy's very convenient notebooks because, you know, he, <laughs> there's a concert ticket for this Johnny Flynn character uh, in in his notebook, not in his wallet or in his shirt pocket in or his anything. Notebook. And in he's the, in a coma. The convenient know. notebook is one of my favorite movie tropes where someone walks into someone's room and they just flip to exactly the page that yeah. has the relevant piece of information they need. Oh, and it was very symbolic that there were so many unfinished pages in that notebook. <gasps> the feels. They only went back to it four times. Can I change your name to Johnny Feels? I've been called worse. Your name is Johnny. Fils. And uh, there's a part in there where it says like my favorite diner for pancakes. And it has a drawing of Jimmy's diner. And so she goes and gets pancakes and she's trying to do a, a, a senses, you know, feeding his senses that way. And she uh, goes to the concert of this Johnny Flynn character goes to him afterwards and says, do you know my brother? He uh, he wrote you a letter. He sent you a CD or something. And he says, no. And she says, and she's Anne Hathaway, for God's sake. And she says, uh, 
he's in a coma. He's in the hospital in a coma. And he says, oh, I'm really sorry. That's a drag. And then the next day, he shows up at the hospital and sings a song to the coma guy. It's a very strange movie in that the first half of it, I'm like, wow, this is a drag. This is a real drag. Not only because of the facts of the story, should that have actually happened to somebody, it would suck. But that the music wasn't interesting. It was that, you know, modern, unplugged folk stuff, which I just don't think is very interesting. Interestingly enough, <laughs> there's a, uh, they go to a kind of a rave uh, electronic dance music party in the middle of it because, you know, sooner or later, those two are going to be having sex and going out, even though the brother's still in a coma. And from that moment, <laughs> when they introduce some amplified music and glow sticks, the movie gets better. You kind of, the, the characters kind of grow on you to the point that it really sticks the ending. That, so I'm going to give it a B minus, you know. It's so we're good, rating things individually now? Um, well, you didn't see it. <laughs> no. <laughs> you focused on the wrong words in that sentence. No, I didn't mean. I didn't mean, like, should I throw out a rating? I just mean it's interesting. We haven't done that before. Oh, no. I just, you know, it's just kind of off the top of my head. On the just, Johnny Feels spectrum, this is about On the Johnny Feels spectrum. And I'm on the spectrum. I've got papers. And, hey uh, there, cats and kittens, spinning all your favorite hits. It's Johnny Feels. Putting this one on the Johnny Feels spectrum. Dring. I've got an acoustic guitar. <laughs> I live in Brooklyn. Gring. That's the... Uh, the <laughs> That's an amazing song. It would have been really good, I think, if it would have had good music. Because once you get past how lame the music is, the Mary Steenburgen, Anne Hathaway chemistry is really great. And she actually looks like she could have been her mother. It's just funny to me. It's called Song One, and you're you're like, yeah, it'd be really good if the music didn't suck. It's yeah. A, it's a movie about music. Yeah, I know. I That's know. kind of a big deal. I know. And Anne Hathaway doesn't even sing in it. That's like... Wait, what? Yeah, she Why sings would you along bother? to an America record, uh, but I mean, you know, she sings like how, you know, you're just singing to your dog or something. Disclaimer about my comments about Les Mis, I cannot help but cry every time I hear Anne Hathaway's I Dreamed a Dream, so the movie's not all bad. I'm I hacked my hair off with scissors. When Is I that what happened? It. Yeah. It didn't grow back. Have you been telling people that's what happened? Yeah. Okay. I sing it to them. I hacked my hair off. <laughs> And Hathaway made me. I dreamed a dream that I had hair <laughs> when times were better and it was flowing. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to move on from song one. That, that sounded more like Russell Crowe singing. Oh, that hair. hurts, Johnny I'm Neal. sorry. That hurts, man. He's good. No, he's not. Song of the Sea. We're going to move from song one to song of the sea. Now, a little disclaimer again. Is that about Noah? Is this, is a, is this another Russell Crowe No, thing? but it is about an ancient myth, uh, much like Noah is. Uh-oh, controversy. Ooh. Yeah, the Bible's a myth. Deal here we it. go. Um, uh, so, Song of the Sea. Now, a little disclaimer here. I went into this movie with a little bit of animosity, kind of wanting to hate it, because to me, this was the film that was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars that nobody saw that kept the Lego movie out of it. Now, I don't know why I blamed Song of the Sea specifically for that. It was very irrational. Is there a short... You're only allowed to nominate three animated movies? No, you're, there's no... There's no consistency whatsoever well, with so your academy. How so how can you just blame stop. little cartoon not. Cartoon I characters. literally used the word illogical, Johnny Neal. I'm not claiming that this was a solid argument, that I was standing on solid ground with it. I'm just saying it happened. I, you were resentful. I was resentful. Okay. That being said, this is a pretty cute little movie. Um, it's it's from the director of The Secret of Kells. Kellis, The Secret of Kellis, uh, Tom Moore. 
Basically, the story here is about two children, Ben and Shershi, I believe is how you pronounce it. Like Shershi Ronan. Shershi Ronan? Yeah, the actress whose name is spelled with no H in it whatsoever. Um, They live with their father at this lighthouse, who, and their father is kind of distant because his wife has died. He hasn't really gotten over it. Uh, Ben is the older child. Shershi is six years old, and she hasn't spoken a word. She's never uttered a single word. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Uh, and so one, one night, uh, there's this, there's this shell that her mother gave him and she told her, you know, with this, you can hear the song of the sea and she picks it up and one night it leads her to the ocean with this. Like, Under the sea. Yes. Was this, that in there? That was totally not in there. Should've Under been. the sea. Nice. Yeah. Everything's better down where it's. Wetter. Wetter. I'll wait for you, Russell. Um. Take it from me. <laughs> <laughs> so it leads her to the ocean and she, uh, and there's this group of seals. It's like, Hey, come on, come hang out with us. And she, it turns out that Shershi is a Selkie. Now, if you're not Celtic... All six-year-olds are sulky. Okay. Do you know what that is? Because I didn't know what that well, was. Well, they sulk. Not sulky. They're always mad. They're no, always sulking no. around. No, Johnny Neal. Johnny Neal. No, not a sulky. A Selkie. S-E-L-K-I-E. A, like when you take your picture with your iPhone? That's a selfie. Uh, I'm starting... You kids today with your sulking and your And your hula hoops and, and your... your Dan Fogelberg. Um... This is a Celtic myth where uh, a Selkie is a, a mythological being that lives as a human on the land, but as a seal in the water. So I guess this is was like the this is where uh, this is also where the movie Tusk came from. I you, guess you eat your you eat your vegetables, or I'm gonna club your head. Hey oh hey. So it's this like I'm an I'm an angry Irish dad. And then they're sent to live with their grandmother, and it's about this adventure that they get into with these mystical beings in the woods. It's a cute movie, and I like the animation style. It's again the same style as. Um, the the secret of Kells. It was um, now. Did you see that? I I saw a little bit of it. I didn't see the whole movie, but I liked I liked what I saw of that movie. And this one was really cute. If I had a problem with it, I feel like its story just felt kind of old hat, and probably because it it took me after I watched it, I looked up and I was like, oh, it's based on an ancient myth. That's why it kind of feels a little like previously Padded? trod ground. Like, you know? don't you get the feeling sometimes like. Why don't you tell three Irish myths in one cartoon? You yeah. know, do an anthology, do a do a creep show. An kind anthology, of a thing. <gasps> anthology. Ooh, we should totally because you know uh, these stories are not. You, you start adding tropes to it when you have to drag it out like that. Yeah, that's and, true. That's true. I could I could see that happening. I'd be totally on board for that. But the animation's really pretty. I do like that about it. Um, um, it gets into some artistic, figurative, visual language. That I think it, it it's so much more captivating than the story itself, mm-hmm. uh, which is both kind of a mark against it and for it. It, it feel and it also here's a I'm I'm gonna pay it a compliment. It feels a lot like a Miyazaki film at times, like oh, nice. in terms of the way that specific emotional beats are handled. Uh, so I really I thought that was pretty cool about it. But overall, I was just like, okay, is good, it a musical? Good. It's it's not a musical. Does it have Irish folk music in it? Uh, not really, no. Um, but this is this is it. Is it like normal animation or is it three D digital? No, it's. It? It, I mean, it's pretty much what you see on the box. So it is looks what like it looks like cell animation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so this Blu-ray, uh, that has been put out here as terms of special features, we've got a behind the scenes, uh, featurette. We got some animation tests. We got the art of the song in the sea and an audio commentary with Tom Moore. Definitely worth checking out. Nowhere near as good as the Lego movie. That's the last time I'm going to say it. That's okay. the last time okay. I'm going to bring okay. up this problem that I had with the Oscars this year. Is it a kids movie or is it? It's a... absolutely a kids movie. Okay, that's the big deal. But I mean, it's me. got the way it's the way it's. I mean, there's things for adults to like about it too. Like right. I said, there, it feels very Miyazaki at times. Um, you will enjoy watching the the sort of figurative moments where it's very uh, artistic in the way that it's getting its point across. Very 
metaphorical in the way it's getting its point across. Well, I just it surprises me that it didn't get a wider release. Yeah, that is really surprising. I mean, yeah. you know, so I'm kind of curious as to if you have a take on why. I have no idea. Have, I mean, uh, do you think it would have been a hit? Would it have been worth the promotion? I don't know how The Secret of Kells did uh, in terms of. I guess it made. I mean, I guess in total, it only made. It didn't even make a million dollars. The Secret of Kells, so. Maybe that was also a smaller release. It's a release. very well-kept secret. I guess so. I guess it is indeed. Well, moving on from Song of the Sea, we're going to dig up a little marrow with Johnny Neal. Oh, brother. I am so angry. You should so be. So fucking angry. This is the latest film from Adam, Adam Green, who's a filmmaker I really like. I really liked Frozen. I really liked uh, the, uh, the second Hatchet film. I, I really like Spiral. Like they're, they're, He's a guy that makes really interesting movies, and I was looking forward so much to seeing this. And literally, literally, my own horror story is that I put the disc into the fucking Xbox One. Bill Gates, if you're listening, I owe you a punch in the dick. I put it in the Xbox, which I use as my primary source of watching all movies, and suddenly it was like, no, I do not want to play this. And I'm like, Xbox, that's your job. And he's like, no, I do not want to play this. And I'm like, why are you French? And it's like, fuck you. And so I tried... Bill, Bill Gates does a lot of charity work. Yeah, but you know what? He can come here and fix my fucking Xbox. You're a little selfish. I am a little selfish because I wanted to see Digging Up the Goddamn Marrow. All right? I'm digging up shit on Bill Gates because I wanted to see Digging Up the Marrow. Anyway, Johnny Neal, you seem to really like this movie, so tell I us gotta a little I got to tell about you, this movie, I was very skeptical that I was going to like this movie. And Ray Wise owns this So movie. good at that actor. He is so amazing in this movie. He He... First of all, the other actors in it are not very good. <laughs> They're the producer and writer, the guy that you're talking about, Adam Green. Adam Green is one of the actors in this? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. He's the main actor. I love him to death, but he should not act. Yeah, it, it was kind of a Will Wheaton kind of thing. He was like a, a horror, the horror version of Will Wheaton instead of Will sci-fi. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Adam Green. <laughs> and Ray Wise is this guy who is uh, stalking uh, monsters. I mean, the the concept of it is so silly. The whole movie is based on a guy's art show in San Francisco who writes, he draws monsters, and then he writes uh, for, the, for the catalog for the show, he writes a little fictional story. It's very, uh, uh, out, not outsider, but like juxtaposed type uh, art, you okay. know, or um, high fructose alternative art. Uh, I like the way you describe that. That was, that was very evocative. I like it. I like it. Well, thanks. You're welcome. Let me see if I, if I, can, if I can recover from that. I don't know. If Did I, can I give you the vapors, up. Johnny Neal? I don't know if I can follow that up. I but think so, I just gave him the vapors. So, but, well, the reason I'm telling you all this is because the extras on this DVD are as interesting as the movie itself, uh, and almost to the point that you should watch the extras first because you'll forgive a lot of the movie if you watch the extras first and know <laughs> what they were doing. Okay. Um, it's it's like a uh, what is, what is a. It's like not found footage. It's it's quasi documentary. Uh, faux uh, faux documentary. Faux, faux documentary. Yeah. yeah, and they film stuff of it in the uh, 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 science or not science in horror conventions. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of horror uh, celebrities that pop up that are just signing autographs and stuff that talk to Adam. Hey Adam, and and it's just really fun. Hey, Adam. Hey, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up, Adam? I'm that guy uh, <laughs> that was in that thing. Call me. <laughs> So they meet up with Ray Wise, who has been writing to them, telling them about this underground monster world. And so they meet with him, 
And if you don't know who Ray Wise is, you know, look him up. He's Absolutely. Really, yeah, I mean, he's 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 Swamp Thing for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Only oh. when I laugh. Oh my God! And I love he it so much. Uh, he it's implied that his son is a monster. He gives this great monologue about how and and it's got weird. Uh, slideshow stuff edited in to his monologue all of his acting is monologues by the way it's it's all great he probably acted for four days to film this and then they did everything else around him um he just tells a story of how uh children with really bad birth defects they don't what happens they just disappear you don't know what happens to them well they didn't die they moved into an underground subterranean world where they 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 get married and they have their own justice system (laughs) He goes off on these tangents, and they're just brilliant. You nice. just start going, wow. If I was uh, an actor and I needed uh, like a monologue for a showcase, I would definitely take one of those, you know, because they're just so great. <laughs> they're so weird, and he is so convinced of everything that he says, mm-hmm. and he's so in a different movie than the rest of it because he's the only actor in the movie. Actor? You know? So you're going, well, you're Ray Wise, which makes the movie its own goofy sense of itself, you know. Um all that said, again, it's a full package. The extras where they talk about making the monsters, they talk about where the whole idea of the movie came from. I recommend that you watch all of that first and then watch the movie, and you're really going to be in love with it. That is really interesting. I don't think I've ever heard someone say, um, watch the special features first and then watch the movie. So that's interesting, because usually you know what happens when, when you do that. Spoiler town. Spoilers, right. Spoiler well, town, spoiler town, spoiler town. Um, you know, there are that, there are those, but the spoilers are just like jump scares, you know? So it's like, they still get you when they happen. Uh, but mostly just so that you'll appreciate what they did. I think, I just think the whole thing is best taken as a package. I gotcha. So if that makes any sense, but mostly just to watch Ray Wise, you just kind of go, why isn't he in everything? Well, context and intent are actually really important. I sound so pretentious. I don't mean to. No, you don't. Really important with Adam Green, because like, if you watch Hatchet from the outside, like... I got to admit, I don't, I'm not in love with the first Hatchet. I really love the second one. But the thing about both of those movies is what he's doing is he is calling back to an era of slasher films that most people want to forget and a few of us really love. And so I can completely understand why even horror audiences, some of them saw that went, eh. Where, I mean, like, the hardcore horror fans fucking loved Hatchet and Hatch 2 and even Hatchet 3, which he had nothing to do with. But I think Hatchet 2 is really like the best of that franchise for me. But I mean, that's what he's doing. Like he's at all times, he is trying to do something very original while staying true to his horror roots and the things that he loves, which is a really difficult thing to pull off to do homage and also be innovative. Uh, You you know, Quentin Tarantino kind of does the same thing. Uh, But like Frozen, if you haven't seen Frozen, I think Frozen is one of those great small concept that's the ski lift yeah movie? yeah small concept highly tense highly suspenseful horror films well he plays himself in this yeah well and, he, he and, played himself on holliston which is a show he did with uh, oh well with Joe and, Lynch. and that's what he talks about uh in the in the movie people are going ah. you've got this weird thing on the, the side burner project with these monsters in the marrow but we have a show to do you know people are getting frustrated <laughs> with him and he's going and they have fights and he's calling i mean it's its own little weird soap opera running below it but uh you know it, it's it, it's funny you say you sound you think you sound pretentious i don't think so at all because i think it's time that 
we look at DVDs as an entire package, not just as extras. Interesting. But, you know, I mean, if I was to say, if I was writing a review for a theatrical release of this movie, I'd probably go, eh, you know, two stars. But when I watch it with context provided and extras provided, it's hugely entertaining. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly loved it. This is our 87th episode, and I want you guys to understand that what Johnny Neal has just done has is to give us the first real insight we've ever offered in the entire span of digital noise. I, you know, I like that theory, Johnny Neal. I really, I never thought about that, but there is something, there is something about uh, getting a feel for context from the supplements before you actually watch the movie, or maybe after watching it once, but then you watch it again to kind of compare and contrast. I like that. You know what? I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start doing that as much as possible. Well, oh, the I'm, next time not, we have only three movie. movies to talk about, the next time we only have three movies to talk about on an episode, I'm totally doing this. Well, I mean, I wouldn't recommend that for every movie because there would be spoilers. Uh, but in in this case, um, I would really okay. Frankly, if you're going to see this movie, it's because you're into this guy already, right? True. I mean, you kind of already have a a set of a, a notion of what you're going to see. Right, you should at least. I mean, you're you're going. Oh, this is an Adam Green movie, so I know I'm a fan. I mean, so you're going to watch the extras anyway. If you're not a fan and you're wanting to check them out, given the information that you've just heard, watch the extras first because they're great fun. They're just they they make the movie better. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, I like it. And it makes you appreciate the craft that it was. You know that he had to go to conventions and film. And there's a. There's a very clever scene of I don't want to spoil. I'll, I'll spoil it. It's one of the guys. <laughs> they're talking to him, and they're going, "Oh, you, you're talking about that guy that writes those letters? Uh, we've received hundreds of them, and these are different directors and producers." And then uh, he goes, and then one of them, as he's walking away, he goes, "Hey, I'm not going to sign a release for this." And just as he says that, his face goes pixelated. <laughs> just as he goes off the screen, it was so funny, and, and it kind of sets the tone for the movie. You go, "Well, this is a movie within itself," you know. Yeah. So I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. That's and, excellent, and I recommend it to anyone. the The cover is horrible. The cover does not even yeah. sell it for what it is. It looks like uh, there's a great horror film by a guy named J T. Petty called uh, The Burrowers, and this looks more like a cover for that than it does uh, what I from what I'm hearing from Johnny Neal to be for this film. Ah. I've listened to every single podcast on oneofus.net. What do I do now? Well, first of all, how is that even possible? But secondly, I think I have a solution for you, Chris. There can be no solution, there, Brian. There is a solution, and that solution is our newest sponsor, Audible.com. Guys, if you haven't tried Audible.com, now is the perfect time to do that. We're talking about content that includes over 150,000 audio programs. We're talking about books on digital, audio dramas, uh, broadcasters, magazine and newspaper publishers, all the greatest stuff you can possibly imagine in one place just for you. Okay, that actually does sound pretty good. Doesn't that sound great? And you know what? I'm going to make it sound even greater, Chris, because they are officially, Audible is officially one of our sponsors here at oneofus.net, and as a special gift to you guys, Audible has given away a free audiobook. All you have to do is click on the link at the bottom of this page, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash oneofus. You mean to say that by clicking on audible.com and downloading their free book, they make sure by listening to that audio that we keep making more audio as well? That's right, and the cycle continues. I want to talk about a film called Wild Card. I feel like I, I was doing the intro to some Merle Haggard song or something. <laughs> I want to tell you the story about a man named Wild Card. Wild Card. Wild Card. Uh, so Wild Card is the latest direct-to-video Jason Statham movie, and before you tune out, 
which because I said <laughs> Jason Statham in direct video, I understand, but stick with me on this. Jason Statham plays a guy, he's working in Las Vegas, he's kind of a bodyguard, he's not really a private detective, he's just somebody you hire because he gets shit done, and because he can kick a lot of ass, like, so... He's a you fixer. Have, he's a fixer, yeah, 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 he's a, he's a recovering gambling addict, and so he just kind of takes these odd jobs, and um, there's, a, there's a, a gambler named Danny DeMarco, uh, no, I'm sorry, that's not the gambler's name, uh, what is the gambler's name? I'm having trouble finding it. Anyway, so he takes this job from this... Uh, he's got, like, two friends in the whole movie. One is uh, Jason Alexander as the guy who kind of... Is the lawyer who owns the office where his desk is. Parajasons. Yes, Parajasons. Full house. <laughs> what a great pair-off. They're, they're so- We're both bald. We're both named Jason. Ah! Um, but you know, this the thing is there's a lot of stars in this movie who are in it for about five minutes and yeah. he's one of them. He's literally in one scene. Uh, but this young gambler comes in and he's like, look, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to Caesars and I'm going to be gambling a lot and I need somebody to watch my back. And he's like, well, okay, fine. I'll do it. Jason states about the whole movie is trying to come up with $500,000, which he says will buy him five years and get him the hell out of Vegas. And that's my favorite part of this movie. This movie is essentially what leaving Las Vegas would look like. If you replace Nicolas Cage with Jason Statham. Wow. So instead of like really moody introspection and like, uh, you know, really facing demons, he just kicks people. But it's the same. It's a recovering alcoholic who's doing everything he can. Well, this is leaving Las Vegas, but really wanting to leave. But actually wanting to leave Las Vegas. Instead of just wanting to die. It's a literal version of leaving Las Vegas. Instead of dying out of Las Vegas. Instead of dying. And of course, his other friend, much like in leaving Las Vegas, is a hooker. Who is beaten up by a uh, a local hood, a small-time gangster named Danny DeMarco, who's played by Mio Ventimiglia, the guy from Heroes. Oh, yeah. Who Ventimiglio. Still, which I still haven't gotten my written apology from him for That's My Boy, which if you haven't seen that movie, don't. Anyway, so he goes to work one night on this hooker friend of Jason Statham's, really just almost kills her. And she wants Jason Statham to get find out who he is, get his name, so she can get revenge. At first, he doesn't want to do it because he's connected to this family run by a mob boss named Baby, who's played by Stanley Tucci. Aww. And years ago, they tried to convince him to be a part of their outfit. Is this just a bald man's movie? Kind of. There's just bald people everywhere. That's nice. Everywhere, the everywhere. The older I get, the more I appreciate that. Right? Right? <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> I dreamed a dream... Anyway, uh, so he's like, no, I don't want to do that because years ago they asked me to be a part of the outfit. I said no, but because they know how tough I am, they didn't force the issue. Now we stay away from each other. So he knows as soon as he gets involved, he's going to have the whole mob after him. And sure enough, he ends up getting involved because he's got a golden heart after all. And who gives a shit? Right. Because the fight scenes in this movie are fan-fucking-tastic. Great. They are in slow motion. And not like crazy, stupid uh, Zack Snyder slow motion. Like, we're going to slow this down so you can actually watch this guy's throat get punched in half. Or we're going to slow it down so you can watch some other guy's leg break, like, in pieces. Like, it is just fucking brutal as hell. And even as they're doing slow motion, they'll then back it up into regular speed and do a lot of consistent shots. A lot of long shots. Which I'm like, for action movies anymore, that's kind of a rarity. Well, is it kind of Guy Ritchie? 
influence. A little bit, think? a little bit, maybe. Yeah, and I actually like Statham's character in this. He's funny. He's he's very much like a, a film noir, uh, you know, sweaty end of his robe, drowning in the inside of a bottle, kind of private detective character, and he plays that really well. And even though there are characters in this, there are actors in this who should be in more of it that aren't. It's really, it's a lot of fun. It's got a great soundtrack. The only thing I don't like about this movie is that it goes into these moments where he's he's facing his gambling addiction again, and it's it, it grinds the movie to a halt and is also approached with a really weird... Like, for example, he's got all this money, he's going up to the cage to trade it in, and all of a sudden he starts... I thought he had been poisoned. Right. Like, that was his reaction. He just looked like he was about to throw up, and he's like, I'm like, shit, someone poisoned him, they're going to take his money. No, that was apparently his gambling addiction taking over, and I'm like, I don't think that's what it looks like. Like, that looks more like what happens when someone who has an addiction suddenly isn't doing that anymore. It looks like withdrawal, you know? But yeah. he's he's been gambling all night. And then he gets this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So these moments where... Well, well, the thing about a gambling addiction... Yes. I, I've, uh, I've talked to experts on this. And okay. The, the, the thing about all addictions are self-destructive, right? Yeah. The thing about a gambling addiction is that it's not about winning, it's about losing. Because it gives you a legitimate reason to hate yourself. So if he's winning, he's not getting what he wants out of it. Just, just to throw that in. No, the psychology of that, I understand. But the, the physical reaction the movie, of it is a little bit. Like, yeah, the way it's physicalized, yeah. it makes no sense whatsoever. By the way, that uh, that the the young gambler, he's a self made millionaire, and his character's name is Cyrus Kinnick. I thought Chris would appreciate oh. that. Is so, he played by Kenny Rogers? He's not played by Kenny Rogers, but it's it's uh, it's their relationship is really interesting in the movie. The fights are a lot. Of, like I said, there's just and then again. Characters like Stanley Tucci, Jason Patrick, um, Sofia Vergara, and Anne Heche are all in this movie for like split seconds. Wow. It's really, it's like somebody called in some fucking favors yeah. for this one. Uh, but all that being said, it's a really fun movie. It's not, it's not a great film by any stretch of the imagination. It's got problems. But considering the shit that we've been seeing from Statham, like this seems like a step back in the right direction, if you ask me. So I had a lot of fun with it. I think you guys will too. So Brian uh, recommends Wildcard. The Blu-ray has, um, let's see, a director commentary, a featurette called Original Sin, Las Vegas, and the characters of Wildcard, and a script vignette. I, I like a, a fine, vignette. I like a fine, well-aged vignette Woo-hoo. myself. I think I think 1964 was a good year for vignettes. Yes, I think so too. I you know like, who made this? Who? Simon West. Oh yes, Simon West. Okay, he's the director of the of of classics like The Expendables and Con Air. Oh wow, I liked Con Air. I I mean I enjoyed Con Air, but yeah. having seen The Expendables, when I saw his name pop up as the director, I was like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> yeah, Con Air was silly, but it was. Fun again, you know? Con Air, not my problem. The Expendables is my yeah, problem. Yeah, I don't have any interest in that one. That's what I've stayed away from. Hey, but I got to watch a pretty decent uh, crime film. Johnny Neal got to watch Diamond Heist. Oh, okay. May, okay. may I share something, Johnny Neal? May I share something? Johnny Neal sent me a message <laughs> after watching this movie, and I'm going to read it verbatim. The message says, So when the money starts rolling in, can I get some kind of hazardous duty pay for watching non movies like Diamond Heist? Yes. And he, and I said, we'll negotiate those terms. And he said, like all hostage negotiations. <laughs> so, Johnny Neal, I, I want you to tell us a little bit about Diamond Heist, your favorite movie of the week. Well, I drew the bad wild card on this one. If, you sure if did. wild card is Jason Statham's uh, Leaving Las Vegas, well, Diamond Heist is, <laughs> is uh, Michael Madsen's Magic Mike. 
Now I'm gonna Magic Mike Madsen. Magic Mike Madsen. I'm, so on, the, I'm, I'm, in, I'm on board so far. You're going to have to do better than that. The, the note on the back. When two dancers mysteriously disappear from outside his London club, Terrence, a notorious diamond smuggler, needs to find some replacements fast. Now, what they fail to tell you is that the dancers are male dancers. <laughs> I love it. I, let me see that box for a second, because on the back of this, there are definitely pictures of, like, sexy women and explosions. And so they, they just, like, conveniently leave off the fact that this is yeah. a movie about male dancers. They, they, also, <laughs> they also leave off the fact that most of it takes place in Hungary, which... Just uh, like the Ninth Configuration. Just like... I I honestly think that this was a Hungarian movie as some kind of uh, vehicle, some kind of gay panic comedy for <laughs> the the Abbott and Costello or the or the uh, uh, whatevers of Hungary who uh, spend there are a couple of big meatheads and they spend the movie freaking out about being in uh, in gold uh, g strings. Wow. I watched most of this movie in fast forward. I gotta I'm gonna just level with you. No, that's that fine. I want to tell you a couple things about this movie. First of all, the I am the I couldn't find this on IMDB. Wow. Because first of all, I was looking at the bottom of the box. I had to do some fucking like Columbo shit with this. I looked at the bottom oh. of the box. Copyright twenty twelve. It was three years ago. Wow. And then I start looking at uh I look at the actors who are in it, Vinnie Jones, unfortunately, because this is what he's been reduced to the last forever. And Michael Madsen, who hasn't done anything good since Kill Bill 2. Uh, so I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the character names in the description. I finally find it. It was retitled from Magic Boys. Oh! So I'm thinking this Magic Mike thing you're talking about is not just a coincidence. It's not just me. This was hung. This must have been Hungry's response to Magic Mike. Yes, exactly. Wow. Exactly. Wow, we may have just cracked the code on this movie, Johnny Neal. And also what I love about it, the IMDb description... After witnessing a murder, a hapless pair of misfits escape their own near-death experience by posing as male strippers, only to find themselves neck deep in even bigger trouble. So the IMDb description does not feel the need to hide the fact that there are male strippers in this movie. The box, on the other hand, retitled Diamond Heist. <laughs> Everything The about most it. generic title ever. There were explosions going on behind Michael Madsen and Vinnie Jones. Could, could Michael Madsen on the back of the box look more bored to be hanging out of a car firing a gun? Yeah, that's, uh, like, well, oh. that's one of the miracle Photoshop pictures because there's a, <laughs> there's a Photoshop picture of him with, with Steve Reeves' body all oiled up when he was the king of the male strippers. And now he lives, all of his scenes are filmed, except for one, are filmed in a hotel and they're just English language narrative to move to to move the camera back. You know to why? Hungary, because that have you Hungary. heard of, have you heard about what it's like to work with that guy? No. I had a friend who shot a movie here in town and had Michael Matt Michael Matson showed up the first day of the set with a giant black eye because he had gone out drinking the night before and gotten a fucking fight. Wow. And most of his scenes yeah, he just sat in a chair. Like, literally, that's what he does. It's like that, that joke about Tracy Jordan on 30 Rock that he did a yeah. whole movie sitting inside of a limo. Michael Madsen would do it if they would let him. Well, that's the weird thing to me is is he's obviously angry that his career didn't pan out the way it should And somehow this is his response to it, though. Just to just make it worse. Yeah, I yeah. don't get that. I mean, but he and Vinnie Jones both are very capable characters, you know? They, We've they, seen them be good in movies Exactly, that are good. exactly. And, you know, Michael Madsen, everybody... When when people talk about Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise, what a great uh, opening scene he you know his his debut in the world, how great he was. Well, Michael Madsen kind of debuted in that movie too and was awesome before Reservoir Dogs came out. You know, I mean he's a he's a really likable guy, 
But he's a brand at this point, yeah. you know? He's the big, kind of weird, mooky cowboy guy. That, he's the poster child for failure. Uh, with black dyed hair. Yeah. I mean, his hair is just dyed with shoe polish. It's so black. The opening scene <laughs> of the movie is him at a uh, buffet at a... At that a, I believe. At a... <laughs> At a hotel. That I buy. And he's just, he, he smells stuff and then dumps it out. And he's that I don't making a big me- <laughs> Making a big mess. See, now you lost me. Because he's lactose intolerant. See, he Mike- would smell milk, but he's not lactose intolerant for goat milk, which I would think still has lactose. Y- yeah. And uh, all of that to lead up to a joke at the end, at the very end, that uh, he smuggled diamonds in goat yogurt from Hungary. <laughs> That's sure. the, that's how the movie ends. Whatever movie, whatever yeah. you say. Whatever you say, movie. I love that I got to watch Wild Card and you had to watch this. I, I love it too, Brian. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, this duality thing we've got going on with Song of the Sea and Song One and Diamond Heist and Wild Card, let's talk about our Criterion release of the week, which is actually two films on one disc. <gasps> Two for the price of one. Are they though? No, because Criterion's still like fifty bucks a piece. So <laughs> are it's they, like, what are, are they? Are they actually two, films? Uh, I mean, that's well, okay. Kinda... <laughs> There's the other dubious point of distinction we need to we need to come across. So this is a pair of Errol Morris documentaries, Gates of Heaven and Vernon, Florida. I have to say, the only thing I really knew about Errol Morris is that he made documentaries that were very what people have described of as slice of life. Okay. Very just like, there's no frills. He's just like, this is what's going on in this community. That's all I knew about him. Now these, if, you, if you've if you heard nothing about him, watch these two movies and I think you'll get a pretty good sense of his style. Uh, you watch, we, we split this one up even. So yeah, we you, did. You watched Gates of Heaven. Tell us what that's about. Gates of Heaven is filmed in the late 70s. And it's a little choppy in that you think that you're in Pennsylvania at the beginning of it. Or no, North Dakota. Uh, and then you end up in California and you're not really sure how the characters moved but it starts uh, it's about the pet cemetery business and there's a business there's a business of people wanting to have pet cemeteries and it starts with it's not just ed gwynn in a rocking chair going no the thing you bury up there ain't the same as one in the ground (laughs) you gotta watch out for the brambles the soil of a man's heart is Uh, rockier lily Munsters references. <laughs> we lost our demographic under the age of 60. Because <laughs> it's in black and white and you're afraid. <laughs> they're afraid of it not because there are Frankenstein monsters and, and uh, vampires in the house, but because it's in black and white. It's in black and white and it has a laugh track. Yes. So tell us more about this. So it starts with a this old guy in a wheelchair with like uh, his pants are way up to his chest and he's got a bunch of pins in his pocket and he's got a tattoo across his forearm and you honestly you think that he's probably a concentration camp survivor mm-hmm. but you because you can't quite make it out and it's old you know it's old film stock from the seventies and obviously made for no money at all and it's all just talking heads mostly um, yeah. and then in, and you know how old film stock when it's when it's upgraded to Blu-ray, looks even more weird. You know, it's it's like that. So this guy sounds really sincere that he wants to have a pet cemetery for people who are grieving over the loss of their animals. Mm-hmm. And then somebody invests in him, and uh, somehow or other, he ends up in California, and they invest, and then it's going nowhere. So they have to dig up all these animals, and it's a uh, it's this big weird deal. 
there are a couple of great monologues that are just very strange. One is an old woman sitting in her doorway uh, with a screen door open, and she's just rambling. And that is, again, another monologue that if you were an actor and you needed a weird monologue to get people's attention, her sad little, no, don't turn the camera off. That means you'll leave. <laughs> it's pretty riveting for the for the four minutes of film that he had to, in the can, you know? Yeah. Um Ultimately, though, I I honestly feel like is he letting these people talk to the to the point that they all just look like weird idiots, you know? Or are they just weird idiots who he has allowed to talk? Right, you He's know, because it, it, its own tale. You you end up with these people that are in it for profit. You know, for, mm-hmm. for big time profit. And this one guy, he's wearing a hat. It's not until he takes his hat off you realize that he's bald and it changes his whole look. But he looks like Bill Clinton, like old Bill Clinton, hmm. only it was the 70s. And he's <laughs> California and he's got two sons. And one is this yuppie guy, you know, the, the, the early prototype for a yuppie who just has, you know, dressed for success and, and all this stuff, but he's a big failure and he wants to enter the pet cemetery business. And then his other brother, who's a star. Also named Daryl. Who is a stoner who plays electric guitar out in the mountains in California outside of San Francisco. And he's a fun guy to hang out with. But ultimately, I just kind of went, what was the point of all that? Just a freak show? You really? Know? Was that just to make me wonder? I mean, I, I honestly had a, there, there's no real narrative. There's no real resolution. There's some interesting uh, visuals. But I'm beyond irony at this point, you know, mm. like. I, I honestly couldn't tell what his point in making it was, but it was the 70s, you know. It was the 70s. There was probably a lot of blow going well, on. Well, if you thought your film was pointless and had no narrative, just wait till you see the other movie on this disc, Vernon, Florida. I saw a few minutes of that. Um, okay, so... Saw the turkey hunter. Like we said before, people have described, you know, these slice of life documentaries. Let me just stop you. These are not slice of life documentaries. These are documentaries about the empty cake plate left over after someone else ate that slice and and then all of its crumbs as well. Errol Morris is the man who challenges the medium by constructing cinema out of people's home movies that even they do not want to watch. And that is what Vernon, Florida is. Now, I did a little research on this. The story behind why this movie exists, this is a very early documentary from him, is fucking hilarious. He was... It was originally titled Nub City, and it focused on the residents of Vernon, Florida, who cut off their own limbs as a way to collect insurance money. But nobody in the movie is missing any limbs. Because after he made the documentary, the people who were the the focus of the, the, what do you call them, the subjects of the documentary, threatened to kill him. Wow. So instead, he's like, well, I'll just piece together all the people like... chase him? (laughs) (laughs) So basically what this is, is it's all the footage of the non-amputees that he this shot is, in that this town. This is the co- local color for yes. the story. You might say it's the... Wait, let me get my David Caruso glasses. You might say, this is the director's cut. Yeah! Because yeah! it was about self-amputees. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what this is, is just... You, you should have practiced that. I should have practiced that a little <laughs> bit. I can sum up what this movie is now by quoting one of the doc's subjects exactly. And the quote is... I've been done bit by every critter in the country. <laughs> it's pretty much the, uh, the, uh, some folk will never lose a toe, but then again, some folk will like Cletus, the slack John Yoko. That was fun. It's, like it's a, it's a lot of crackers <laughs> in the pine woods. 
They're not even by the beach in Florida. They're all just in the pines. A lot of crackers and no stew. That's no the problem stew. with this movie. That's the problem. Um, yeah, I mean, you have a guy... Oh, my gosh. No, I will say this. What you take away from Errol Morris films is the blueprint that other documentarians would later follow. Uh, for I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot of times that the narrative, such as it is, or any kind of story, any kind of theme, is revealed entirely through editing, and it's revealed even when you don't know you're supposed to be looking for it. Right. One of my favorite kind of moments in this movie, one of my, like, as if I liked this movie a lot, which I actually did not, uh, but one of the more interesting moments in the movie is when there's this preacher who is, first of all, trying to make his congregation understand the meaning of the word therefore, like he's speaking of Bill Clinton is like giving the definition of therefore so they understand the word because they didn't. Um, oh. and it cuts immediately from this zealous preacher to the two turkey farm or the two turkey hunters again talking about what it takes to be a good hunter. And you realize it's like, yeah, hunting is their religion. Like that's oh. what the edit is trying to tell us. So, and again, you see that in a lot of documentaries, especially now where it's like all of the meaning can sometimes be in the editing. Um, in fact, I am telling, I know straight up that Errol Morris has to be a huge influence on Michael Moore. Oh, sure. Because you watch Roger and me, for example, and the way the crazy possum tortoise dude in this movie is handled is, is almost the exact same way they handle the rabbit lady in yeah. Roger and me, except we don't actually have to watch an animal get slaughtered in Vernon, Florida. What the fuck, Michael Moore? That was, ah, Ah, fuck you. Anyway, um... But you get to see turkey parts. You do get to see turkey parts. He's uh, got an 11-inch beard. So, this is, I, you know, again, Criterion is smarter than I am. I think it's, it's yeah. just what I've arrived at in my three years of doing this is that when they put out movies that I don't get, that I don't understand, that aren't my favorite, I defer to them. I'm like, you guys have been doing this forever, you know what you're doing, and you must know something about this that I don't. And again, it's Errol Moore. Armageddon. They did. They, there you go. See, and I think that will forever give them cachet with me, as Beastie well as Boys videos. all the other great things that they've put out. Now, this Blu-ray, um, this is the director-approved Blu-ray uh, that has the new 2K digital restoration of both films that were supervised by Errol Morris, uh, two new interviews with Errol Morris, this fucking Blu-ray. Now, here's the reason to buy it. In fact, even though we didn't like either of the movies, this is why I think this is still going to be my pick of the week. As a special feature is the 20-minute film, Werner Herzog Eats His Shoe. Oh! If you have not seen this, it is literally documentary filmmaker Werner Herzog eating a shoe on a bet. Because basically, uh, Herzog fulfilled a bet that he uh, in intended to inspire Morris to complete his first feature. He made a bet with Errol Morris. He lost. He eats a fucking shoe for 20 minutes. That's the whole movie. Wow. If that didn't entice you to buy this Blu-ray, I don't like know. It's an Andy Warhol movie. Right? And then there's footage of Herzog professing his... Why didn't they make that the release? I don't know. I don't know. And there's also a footage of Herzog professing his admiration for Gates of Heaven at the 1980 Telluride Film Festival. So, not great movies. Kind of important to understand, like, kind of blueprint They're for character documentary. character sketches yeah, is what they character are. Sketches. They're not that's really a, movies. That's there's, a great way to even, put it. Even with that tiny bit of a narrative being strung together that, oh, compare turkey hunters to turkey preachers, you know, that's that's <laughs> as much as you're going to get. But it, it, they're character sketches. And, and Gates of Heaven has some interesting characters. But when it was over, I just kind of went, well, I didn't really learn anything. I don't, I don't have any takeaway from this because... 
it's so old, you know? I mean, at this point, it's it's from the late 70s, and it just doesn't matter anymore. I just love the idea of Johnny Neal sitting there at the end going, I learned nothing, Alan I Norris. I learned nothing! Nothing! Now, okay, now let me just say, uh, I don't necessarily think he's slice of life. I think he is. This is a weird story, but I'm not going to tell you what the weird story is. You're going to have to figure it out yourself. Yeah. And this one didn't really have much of a weird story. Um Maybe in the 70s, it was kind of weird that somebody would have a pet cemetery. In this day and age, you know, people are blasting their pet's ashes off into space. And That's true. Weird shit like that. I mean... That's very true. Uh, now, he does have an excellent movie on Netflix called Tabloid, and I would recommend that one to anyone. Yeah, you were telling me the story behind that one, and It's about it was this beauty queen who kidnaps this Mormon guy who is a virgin and just bangs him for a week. And against then he, his will. Against his will, and she claims that he was doing it willingly even though he was handcuffed to the bed. And then he... Uh, and she, what does she say? Well, if it wasn't willing, I'd be like trying to stuff a hot dog in a in a parking meter. <laughs> you know, I tried it once, and I have and to I say, no, I got a ticket <laughs> <laughs> for moving violations. Oh, getting bow, sexy bow. on that parking meter. Damn right. This is a weird. We're gonna move away from this. Tell us about Vincent and Theo, Mr. Vincent Johnny and Theo. Neal. I'm gonna just confess here. Apparently, we are. We're we're outliers when it comes to movies because this is like everybody else is like, oh, Errol Morris is a genius. You yeah, know, they're all just gonna love him. Maybe other films other will show films us that. Will show us that. Well, <laughs> I have never liked Robert Altman. Really? I I mean, you know, he's got a million movies. Really? Two nothing, or three of them. Nothing I of like. his. No, I like Mash. Okay, quite a bit. Because you know, my favorite movie, of, pretty much my favorite movie of all time, is The Long Goodbye. And The Long Goodbye. It is fucking brilliant. And the Long flawless Goodbye. Those piece are the of filmmaking. Two. Yeah. Those are the two that really work for me. Now, that being uh, said, I haven't seen a lot of other Altman films, so I, I love Long I think that Goodbye, he likes but... misery. He likes people to be really? unhappy. Oh. I think he creates characters just to torture them. He's America's Lars von Trier. He is. Except oh. that Lars von Trier has a sense of humor about it. <laughs> I love Lars von Trier. I love ever, Lars von Trier. If you Trier. ever get accused of having less of a sense of humor than Lars von Trier, I think something's gone horribly <laughs> wrong for you, my friend. I love Lars von Trier. Fair enough. Great. But this guy's too much about misery for you. Oh, my God. Well, okay. First, he makes a movie about Vincent Van Gogh and his brother Theo. Tim Roth, as a young Tim Roth, as Vincent Van Gogh. The great Tim Roth. Oh, my God. Is he perfectly cast? I mean, you just see him in the hat, and you're going, oh, wow. I never would have thought Tim Roth to be Van Gogh. See, but that doesn't work for Johnny Depp. You can't just put on a hat, and you're like, oh, I never thought he would be a wolf. He's a wolf. Mm -hmm. Well, I did. I bought it. Fuck that. (laughs) Don't tell me you didn't like that. I didn't like that's like the really like as much as I'm met on the movie I'm we're gonna edit this back into sequence okay yeah yeah. (laughs) you just don't like rapey Johnny Depp no I don't I think that's okay to say (laughs) I think that's completely legitimate to admit you're such a liberal (laughs) (laughs) yes Vincent uh, and Theo Okay, so if you're going to make a movie about Vincent Van Gogh and it's going to be on Blu-ray, wouldn't you want it to have some really vibrant colors at the Ooh, very least? Yeah. This movie looks like it was filtered through mud. Everything about it is ugly. It looks like dark shadows, like the quality oh my of God. the sets. Oh my God, it's really? It's mostly filmed indoors in little shitty, badly lighted rooms. And I, I don't want to hear your... your uh, 
your Barry Lyndon, you know, oh, but that's what the lighting was like in those days or whatever. <laughs> Bullshit. This isn't those days. This is a mimetic representation. We know what movies are. We know we're watching a movie. Watch Dig It Up the Marrow. You know you're watching a movie and you love it for it. Get them, Johnny Neal. Get them. This movie is nothing but misery. You never get the sense that Van Gogh, uh, you look at Van Gogh's art and personally, I, I feel like Van Gogh died for my sins as a as a painter myself. He he's a, one of the greatest painters that ever lived. His artwork is is phenomenal, and to see it in person, to me, if you're going to make a movie and you're going to be blowing up these paintings to a big screen size, because this is an old movie, this wasn't made for video, then you you would think you'd be giving the audience a treat, you know. Oh my God, this is like, look how shitty Van Gogh was as an artist. He had no sense of color balance or anything. Look how shitty everything was. There were, and he never had any moments of enjoyment. Ugh, it just bothered me so badly. It was misery porn with, man, we talk about porn a lot. We do. And by, by we, I mean me. Uh, it was, I, I'm totally on, on board for this. <laughs> this was, and I think Robert Altman is all misery porn. I don't, <laughs> and, and I think people that really like him are snowed. I think, uh, you know, a broken clocks right twice a day. You got The Long Goodbye and you got MASH. Those are both excellent movies. Everything else is like, give me a break, dude. Stop being such a drag. This movie just made me, really mad just to watch it was like come on man you're teasing me you, you 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 show him start to paint or start to draw and granted watching somebody paint is like bob ross type stuff right bob ross is better watching bob ross be mellow with a fro is is better than watching this movie i was terribly disappointed and kind of pissed that tim roth was in it because then it kind of legitimized it huh everything else about it is all danish people uh, I had the feeling maybe Robert Altman was a hired gun for it. Also, maybe it was a stage play and that he, because the way it's filmed with really shitty sets, uh, maybe they were trying to go back to a stage play since I hated it. I hated wow. it. Wow. I hated it. That's, that, that's really unfortunate to hear because I like, well, the long goodbye. I won't say I'm a big Altman fan because I don't think I know enough about Altman to know whether I'm a fan or a detractor, but I love the long goodbye. So I guess I can go ahead and skip this one. Um, our last movie we're going to talk about is a little oddity that Olive Films has released, because that's what they do, called The Beat Generation. Now, this sounds like maybe it would have been the documentary of the week, but it doesn't really focus so much on beatniks and the beat generation so much as they are characters in this noir. Uh, this film noir about a serial rapist called The Aspirin Kid. Now, The Aspirin Kid, uh, what he will do is he will show up at the houses of married women when he knows their husband is out, and he'll pretend to be a friend of the husband's there to repay money that's been loaned. He'll ask for some aspirin, and when the woman goes to get it, he attacks her and he leaves the aspirin as his calling card. And it's about this kind of this detective that's kind of pushed to the edge by trying to catch him. And it's the cat and mouse games between them. Oh, plus a scuba diving sequence. Um, it also it, it stars Mamie Van Dorn. Uh, there's a cameo by Louis Armstrong, which Louis. I'm sorry, Louis Armstrong. It's Louis Armstrong. Uh, he never called himself Louis, by the way. Just really? Hello, Dolly? This is... Oh, he says Louis, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Johnny Neal is always right when it comes to music. Do not <laughs> challenge him. This is the lesson I should have learned a long time ago. Um, what's really notable about this movie is that it was written by Richard Matheson. That's pretty great. Richard Matheson, if you don't know, is one of the greatest science fiction writers of all time, uh, and his his work has been turned into countless movies. He wrote almost all of the best episodes of The Twilight Zone. Right. He was he was Rod Serling's second guy. You know, yep. Rod Serling wrote most. He wrote the second best or second most. He also wrote uh, I Am Legend, which has been turned into several movies, including Last Man on Earth, The Omega Man, and I Am Legend. 
Um, he also wrote uh, not not his first film, but I think it was Spielberg's second film. Or well, no, I guess it was his his first movie. It was made for TV movie called Duel. Yeah, yeah, which is which is a great movie. Outstanding piece of work. But anyway, so that was really what drew me to this movie, is that I'm a big Richard Matheson fan. Um, overall, I guess I like the idea of a really, like, crazed... Like, by the end of the movie, this detective is out of his fucking mind. Like, it starts to get real blurry which one of them is the psychopath. Uh, and I like that. I like that he's on the trail of this serial criminal. Uh, so it's, But it's set up very much like a traditional noir, uh, which is fine. It's just... It, but isn't it weird when you watch a movie from the 50s and you're going, wow, this guy's a rapist. I didn't know people got raped in the 50s. Actually, <laughs> what I was thinking this whole time is, I didn't know you got arrested for raping people in the 50s. Oh, I well, there, was, there is that. It was the 50s. I thought that's just, it was totally allowed. Um, I know, it's horrible. Um, so, another actor kind of of note, speaking of film noir, James Mitchum, who is the oldest son of Robert Mitchum, yeah. who's one of my favorite actors, is in this movie and looks just like his dad. Yeah. Just like him. And then, of course, Mamie Van Doren, who was the stop-calling-me-Marilyn-Monroe sweater, sweater girl of the 1950s. So, it's there's a lot of elements about it that are really well done. I just think there's not a lot about it that's super interesting if you've seen a lot of noir. It's a B-movie that they slapped beatniks and jazz into it. To exploit the beatnik and jazz scene, pretty much is that is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, and it does get really silly toward the end, which is really kind of a a bizarre turn. Also, also uh, Vampira is in this movie. Just oh for all, wow! All of you Vampira fans out and there, and Dick Contino is in it as well. That's if you're correct. a James Elroy fan. That's correct. Dick so Contino's blues. It's 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 you know a lot of it is very standard. It does have its little moments of weirdness. Like I said, there's scuba diving. Anyway, um, so check it out. It's a lot of it's it's very odd. Uh, I don't know that it's particularly great, but uh, if you're but it's a time capsule movie. It is a, exactly exactly it's a time capsule movie, and I think if you've seen less film noir, you might enjoy it more because you're not going to see all the like yeah okay standard 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 standard. But that's it. That's all we got. We're no. done. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Oh wait a minute. There's that other thing we always do on every show. Give away diamond heist. Give away not diamond heist. Oh. It's April Fools, everybody. Yeah, you just got fooled. Oh, you just got fooled. You're a bunch of fools. How many spit takes did I have? How many of you wasted your computers with spit takes thinking you're gonna get a diamond heist? I pity the fool believe Johnny Neal. That's uh, all it is. Turns out our giveaway is actually Star Trek the original series, Captain Kirk's Boldest Missions. This is a DVD that compiles eight of the best Captain Kirk episodes of Star Trek the original series. So Boom! There you That's go. That's pretty including, sweet. Including, of course, the carbon carbon carbonite carbonite maneuver. I always say that. That's wrong. that that Australian stuff that they use. It's the thing they put beer. Han Solo in because that makes trekkers angry when you cross them over. Oh, he just mad gave me a carbonite sandwich. <laughs> So just so just so we're clear, we've referenced uh, the Spin Doctors. Oh yeah, Minute Work. Oh, uh, what else? What else did we talk about? Um, Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong, Men Without Hair, uh, and of course the Ohio Players. And the Ohio Players. This has been a very musical episode because of we're we're very musical people. We're cranking we up that digital rhythm. noise. We're we know. cranking it up. That's right. Yeah. We're Some electronic musical digital noise. I'm doing this with you right now because I'm vamping because I didn't come up with a way for them to win this giveaway. So now what I'm doing is I'm creating a distraction so they're not thinking about why I haven't told them yet so I can think about it. Hey, if you want to win a copy of this uh, this 
what is this, the boldest missions of Captain Kirk on DVD, here's what you're going to do. You're going to follow us on Twitter, at one of us net, and then you're going to tweet at us with the answer to this hypothetical. If you could rewrite the original series, now I'm not talking about updating it, I'm not talking about J.J. Abrams in it, you have to pick someone era-appropriate to recast as Captain Kirk, and if you say Jeffrey Hunter... You're going to get smacked down, both you, Johnny Neal, and the people at home. Pick you an, can't say Leonard Nimoy. Yes, pick an era specific. That means in the 60s, someone who was famous in the 60s. Pick an era appropriate, but maybe weird choice for Captain Kirk. If they had recasted, who would have been your new Captain Kirk? Can I answer it and, and sure. disqualify? Sure. Chuck Connors. Nice. I like Rifleman. that. I like it. Pa! Get in the house, boy. I got this giant gun. Yeah, imagine that if he was the rifleman with a big old laser. Oh, I can imagine it. I just love Chuck Connors. And I'm going to have you hashtag that Space Seed giveaway. Space Seed giveaway? Yeah, because Space Seed is one of the greatest episodes that's on here. That sounds a little risky. Well, we were talking about porn. <laughs> we were talking about you watching you. porn and throwing salt around. So I, I figured, got, yeah. I figured I would follow suit. That's pretty good. We yeah. didn't rehearse this. We don't I, rehearse. I know it doesn't you and, show. You and I don't rehearse anything. No, we don't even know each other. No. I, why are you in my house? <laughs> I'm, I'm the aspirin kid. I broke in. Why do you have that I'm the hat? NyQuil kid. Why are you dressed like a wolf? Johnny Neal, what's going on? I'm very, I need an adult. I need an adult before he opens me up to new experiences. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Digital Noise. Once again, this was episode 87. Recorded on April Fool's Day. Recorded on April Fool's Day. Uh, if you have not become a subscriber yet, please consider doing so. If you haven't gotten your free audio ebook from audible.com, the official sponsor of this show and very uh, various others like it, do that either at the bottom of the page or you can go to audibletrial.com slash one of us. We really appreciate that. That actually benefits us as well as gives you a free audiobook. And uh, definitely follow us on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast at one of us net. I am at Guy Salisbury. Johnny Neal doesn't know what Twitter is. And uh, oh wait, I, wait, am I, am I presuming? Do you have a Twitter account? I'm familiar with the concept. Okay. I don't have one. Okay, that's fine. No. And then I'm on Facebook though. Oh, yes, Facebook. Johnny yeah. Neal with two L's. Two L's. Johnny Neal. No, that would be two L's. <laughs> Neal. Neal. Double L. Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y-N-E-I-L-L. Johnny Neal before Zod. And, of course, you can like the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash oneofusnet. But, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for going on this journey with me, Johnny Neal. Thank you for having me, We're gonna Captain, do- my captain. Oh, it, it gives me the tingles when you say that. <laughs> So we're going to end the show the way we always do, letting you know that no release is too big, no release is too small, Diamond Heist. From Criterion to Catastrophe, Diamond Heist, we review them all.